As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Welcome back to Killer Queens. Yeah. I think at this point, you have no idea how long we've been (laughs) putting off. Yeah, there's pretty much like eight hours of recording before this where we've talked about everything else we could possibly talk about. (laughs) And that in no no way in disrespect of... Anything about this case, it's just a tough one. That's all. Yes. If you are not familiar with this case, there's a bunch of trigger warnings. So we're going to be discussing not in detail and not in graphic detail in any way. I do want to make that clear. Child murder, mental health issues. Okay. We're not going to discuss in graphic detail child murder. We will discuss mental health issues in more detail. There will be mention of suicide and there's gun violence. So, and this is a two-parter. So if you, if this is something that you can't do, I I mean, absolutely, we get it. Yes. And we will catch you on the very next case that we cover. No big deal. Yeah. And, and just to let you know, if you're on the fence about it, if you feel like, you know, if you're not sure if you can listen to it or not, we're not going to go into graphic detail. Like there's, there's nothing about, about the deaths of any of the victims that needs to be detailed out that's going to add to the case, you know, that's going to help with anything. So we're, I mean, we're going to talk about the victims themselves. We're going to talk about the events that led up to this. We're going to talk about the shooter. We're going to talk about his psychological state uh, growing up and his history and his state of mind at the time. So those are the things that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so as far as like injuries and wounds yeah. that took place, not gonna, mm-hmm. we're not gonna get into that. No. So, and if you still can't do it, like, again, totally get it. But we just kind of wanted to let you know. Well, we ourselves are kind of like, can we do this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been rough. But we will do it. It is important to talk about. And I do think, I do think it's important to talk about because 
there were, in this case, there were warning signs. And I think that, I know there's a lot of blame placed on Nancy, Adam's mom. And I think that there is a reason for that, a need for that in some ways. And in some ways, I think she just was not prepared. Like, I don't think she knew really what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, but, I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, oh, so anyway, all right. Before we get to today's case, just to let you know, we've got a Patreon. I yes. mean, if you're new here and this is the first time you're hearing this, if you're not new here, you're like, you've told me about it till I'm blue in the face. <laughs> and we're going to tell you again. Yes. Yeah, because I think what a lot of people maybe don't realize is that when you listen to a case here, you're going to get this same level on the Patreon. So we do a whole separate case on Wednesdays. That's our murder mixtape. So you get two full episodes. And then on Fridays, we do our doc jams, which is episode by episode coverage of docu-series and documentaries that you guys vote for. Mm-hmm. I mean, three episodes a week, dudes. Not a bad little situation. Not too shabby. So there's that. Check it out if you want extra episodes. Well, and it's ad-free. Oh, yeah. It's ad-free. That's a big one. We've got our Killer Queens Hangout group. It's a private Facebook group just for $10 and up patrons. So it's a little bit of a smaller community. And Tori thought of this really awesome thing where... We basically have some of our text message conversation. Ooh, uh oh, <laughs> conversation. The hooch. I know between each other, but we do it in the group, so you guys are all involved. So now we can all talk about the shit that Tori and I talk about together. Yeah, it's so fun. You know, we cover the the hard, heavy stuff, um, like Larissa Olenek's necklace in Ten Things I Hate <sighs> About You and how I had I one. Wanted it so bad. Yours was pink, different colors, different shades of pink, though. Yeah, it was precious, wasn't it? was very precious. I love it. I think I got it at Limited too, now that you talk about it. I feel like I did. And we talk about stuff like uh, Sloan's 90s room and 90s workout videos. Yes. And that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg there, you know? Exactly. We're just getting started. Exactly. So come hang out with us. All that to say, come hang out with us. And um, I mean, we've done a bang up job trying to put this episode off, but I think... It's time. <laughs> I don't know how much longer we can do. Fine, it. fine, fine. And a big hey girl thanks to Sloan who who wrote this case for us. It's a beast. She's thorough as always. And a big happy, happy birthday to her. Yes, we hope it is amazing. Amazing. Her birthday's tomorrow when this releases. But mm-hmm. we love you, girl. On Friday, December 14th, 2012, this was a regular day for students and staff at Sandy Hook Elementary School. The kids were in their classrooms and just days away from Christmas break. And just like every other day, the front doors locked automatically at 9.30 a.m. This security measure was installed in 2005, and it's a typical safety measure in most schools. But today, that sadly would not be enough protection. Around this time, Principal Dawn Hawksprung and the school psychologist Mary Sherlock were in a meeting with other staff and a parent when they heard an unusual noise. 
And it sounded like crashes and loud bangs that sounded like gunshots. But of course, in your mind, you're like, couldn't be that. There's no way. Principal Hawksprung and Mrs. Sherlock both left the conference room to see what was going on. Mrs. Hawksprung was all of five feet tall, but she took absolutely no shit from anybody. (laughs) Crazy things happen at school sometimes, and these two women were used to responding, but when they left the room, followed closely by another staff member, Mrs. Hawksprung yelled to the others to stay put. She then fell to the ground, followed by Mary Sherlock. There was a shooter in the elementary school. 20-year-old Adam Lanza had blown his way through the glass windows at the main entrance and was now in the lobby of Sandy Hook Elementary School. Dressed in all black, a hat and sunglasses, and a military-style vest full of semi-automatic weapons and ammunition, Lanza would say nothing during this short but deadly ordeal. The other staff member bolted back to the conference room, but was shot in the leg and had to crawl to the room and lock the door behind her. The first 911 call came from this room. And this call is recorded at 9.35 a.m. Then, seemingly by accident, someone engaged the school-wide intercom, giving the classes a slight advantage and unfortunately allowing the rest of the school to hear everything. The entire school could hear the shots, crashing glass, and screams of pain and terror. Teacher Abby Clements, who survived, said that she and her class sat in silence and listened to 154 shots through the loudspeakers. She remembers some of her kids nervous laughing. I can't even imagine. Ugh, what do you do? While 911 calls are being made, the shooter fires blindly into the hallway, hitting a teacher at the end of the hall in the foot before she's able to duck into her classroom. He then heads to the front office. The office staff at this point was already hiding and they could hear his footsteps enter and then leave because he doesn't see anybody. Thank God he did not decide to go look under desks. Mm-mm. Yes, exactly. And as soon as he left the room, they could, you know, they're hearing his footsteps go in the other direction. They started calling 911 as well. And teachers throughout the school are also calling 911 on their cell phones. And this has got to be confusing for dispatchers. I don't know how much training they have for situations like this where like multiple people are calling in for the same thing. Have you listened to any of the 911 calls? Yeah. There's one dispatcher who, kind of ends up taking control of the situation and he ends up having all the other dispatchers like get off the phone with the people they're talking to. And he talks to just the custodian, I believe that's in Newtown. Mm -hmm. And that's where they, you know, because it's like if you're getting information from 15 different people, I mean, it's just chaos. Yeah, definitely. But at this point, dispatchers are relaying messages to the first responders You're going to Sandy Hook School. The caller indicates that somebody's shooting in the building. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That scene, like thinking about the, the office and him like walking through. Do you remember in the first American Horror Story? I forget his real name now, but the, because that was the one with the murder house, right? Yeah. And Violet, I think was her name in the show. Her boyfriend, I forget what his name was in that, but he was the school shooter. I don't remember. I would have to rewatch it, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Um, You know who I'm talking about, though? The guy with the curly hair and he's in several other ones. Evan Peters? Yes, Evan Peters. So his character in that is a school shooter. But they do, from time to time, like reenactments of the school shooting day. Mm. And at one point, he comes into the library and, you know, there's people like huddled under tables and you can just hear his footsteps and it's dead silence everywhere else, you know? It's just everybody's Mm -hmm. trying not to draw attention. And I don't know, it just reminded me of that and like gave me chills. They, to me, they did a good job with that scene because it freaked me the fuck out. Like, Mm -hmm. I cannot, I cannot imagine. Yeah. Hearing the loud crashing, another staff member headed toward the sound. When she got closer to the lobby, she saw bullet holes and smelled the smoke from the gunpowder. She shuffled backwards and called 911 while sending staff and children into classrooms and locking doors. She stayed on the phone with the 911 operator throughout the ordeal and until police arrived. The shooter fired more shots in the hallway and then made his way to the classrooms. The rest of the incident is is known vaguely through crime scene analysis and forensic evidence with help from some survivors. The first classroom, which is classroom 12, had construction paper covering the window from a previous lockdown drill. This seems to be the only reason the shooter passed by this classroom walking another 20 to 40 feet to another classroom door. And I mean, you know, that's another thing. We're never going to know why he went down this hallway. Right. You know, why it was here that he turned, why he passed that first thing. But the idea is that he couldn't see people inside that room. So he it didn't, yeah, it didn't even register to him or something. Yeah. And unfortunately, the classroom doors were only able to be locked with a key from the outside. So the teachers were unable to lock Lanza out of the classrooms. Oh, that's so crazy. That is yeah. so scary. I know, that's so scary. I'm actually, I need to write that down to ask because Ben's getting ready to start kindergarten. And... That's a concern. When when I went to do the tour of the school, just to like, you know, check it out, the woman who was doing the tour with me would open a kindergarten classroom door so I could see inside, see what it looked like and stuff. And she said, these doors are normally locked. I just have them unlocked right now for this tour. But I want to know if they lock from the inside or the outside. Yeah. It's not known which classroom he entered first, but Lanza would enter classrooms eight and 10. They're side by side. In the hallway, classroom 10 was the second classroom and eight was the third. The windows in the doors to classrooms eight and 10 were not covered like the first class. Adam was able to see inside. He could see people moving around. He didn't have to open the door to find that. They couldn't lock it. 
And he didn't have to force his way in. He could just open the door. Mm. Once in the classrooms, Lanza shot at everyone inside. In classroom 10, he shot 27-year-old first grade teacher Victoria Soto and 52-year-old behavioral therapist Anne-Marie Murphy and five more first graders. 11 other students escaped or hid. In classroom eight, Lanza shot 30-year-old substitute teacher Lauren Russo and 29-year-old behavioral therapist Rachel Devino, as well as 15 first grade students. Only one student survived in this class. First responders arrived on the scene in less than four minutes after the first call, but by then the damage was done. And Lanza, seemingly hearing the police arrive and knowing that this was over, turned one of his guns on himself around 9.40 a.m. They called at 9.35. It is insane to me how much tragedy and destruction and carnage took place in five minutes. Yes, five minutes. One person, five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Officers entered the building not long after that last shot and found a horrific scene. First, they had to clear the building and ensure there's no other shooters and evacuate the rest of the students, teachers, and faculty. And the day before this, enrollment was at 489 students. There were 91 staff members on the payroll, but nine were absent that day. Thank goodness for them. Mm -hmm. Of those numbers, only 469 kids and 74 staff would walk out of the building on their own. When the first responders entered classrooms eight and 10, they saw what could only be the most horrific scene they'd ever attended. 15 children and two adults were found in room eight. Only two children were still alive. One, six-year-old Ben Wheeler, was transported to the hospital but was later pronounced dead. The other student was uninjured and evacuated. Uninjured physically, I cannot imagine what this child is going through still today. Emotionally, yes. Right. In room 10, two more adults and five children were shot. Ms. Victoria Soto had been found near her keys as though trying to lock or unlock something as a protective measure. Mrs. Anne-Marie Murphy, the aide in that class, was found partly covering the little body of six-year-old Dylan Hockley. Only one of the children shot was alive as well, but was also pronounced dead at the hospital. Nine other children had run out of the room, and police found two more children uninjured and hiding in the bathroom. Only 12 students escaped from both classrooms. The body of Adam Lanza was also in room 10 with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his head. He was dressed in a pale green military-style vest over his all-black clothing. He had a black short-sleeved polo shirt over a black tee, black cargo pants, black socks, black canvas belt, black shoes, and black fingerless gloves. Sounds like a Satan worshiper to me. (laughs) Exactly right. Yeah. If this was the 90s, that's what parents would say. (laughs) He had originally had on a black hat and sunglasses as well. The shooter had an empty drop holster strapped to his right thigh. Adam also had yellow earplugs in his ears. He had a six-hour P226 9-millimeter semi-automatic pistol. I don't know if I'm saying all that right. And ammunition on his body in a Glock 20 10 millimeter pistol nearby that was jammed. This had been the gun he used to commit suicide. And just to note, we don't say commit suicide anymore, but he committed murder and then he committed suicide. Yeah. 
that's, we don't really care about being PC when it comes to talking about him. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not afraid of hurting his feelings. Yeah, he he was out to commit a horrific, violent act. And then he ended his own life. I mean, I just, that's just it. If anybody is deserving of having that said, yeah. you know, he definitely did. Yeah, we understand why we don't, you know, we don't want to say that because we don't want to stigmatize depression, mental illness, things like that. That's not, that's not this. It's just not. I I just can't with him. Also nearby was a Bushmaster semi-automatic rifle that he had used from the beginning of his rampage until his suicide. He had 253 live rounds left on his person. Students in classrooms 6 and 12 were found with their teachers in the bathrooms, and these doors did lock from the inside. Officers had to act as though there might be more than one person doing the shooting, so multiple innocent people were detained until they were checked out because making sure an active shooter was stopped was the first priority. And again, with that much damage in that short amount of time, I could completely understand thinking that there's more than one shooter Mm -hmm. active. After they, they clear everything, they secure everything, then they can focus on locating victims and getting them help evacuating everybody else safely from the school. But first, you have to make sure that that threat is over. And I know that some of the people that got detained, or one person at least, was a parent who had, I think, gotten there to work on a project with a classroom or something. And he could hear the shooting and he ran around to the side of the building to look in the classroom window that was his child's. Mm -hmm. And I believe he was wearing like cargo pants and a black shirt or something. And then, and he could hear shooting and then he sees cops coming up and some of the cops, I mean, they dispatched everybody they could immediately. Mm -hmm. So some of these Mm -hmm. cops were in plain clothes because they weren't even on duty. They were just trying to get everybody over there, I guess. And this guy, not knowing what's going on, he he thought maybe one of the cops running towards him was the shooter. So he took off running and they ended up detaining him. And it was just this like big misunderstanding basically. But it's very easy to understand why you might confuse. Just the whole situation is absolute fucking chaos. Mm-hmm. All the way around. So scary. The rest of the students and staff had hidden wherever they were at the time. Some were in closets and bathrooms, and teachers had been doing whatever they could to keep the children calm and silent. Kids were reading and coloring or drawing, but others were just sitting in complete silence. Some people were able to escape the school altogether and headed to nearby houses and hopped in cars with parents on their way to school or even strangers. I mean, at this point, that's probably the only time you can say hitchhiking is probably safer than what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Just do what you got to do. Yeah, it's so scary. Gene Rosen was a neighbor of the school, as was his brother. The two men were on the phone with Gene's brother when he said he had to go because there were kids on his lawn. Gene got to his brother's house to find the kids crying, but also very quiet. They were out of breath from running, and then the boys just started talking. Gene said that the boys said, we can't go back. We can't go back to that school because we don't have a teacher. Like, how heartbreaking is that? Mm-hmm. Only after all that was done could they deal with collecting evidence and treating the school as a crime scene. At some point, Adam's 2010 black Honda Civic was secured as it was parked in front of the school next to the no parking zone. There was another weapon, an 
Ismash Saiga? I don't know. 12 gauge semi automatic shotgun with two magazines with 27 rounds in the passenger seat of the car that was stored in the trunk for safekeeping. The registration showed the police that the car was actually registered to Nancy Lanza, which is Adam's mom. When they discovered the registration with the address of the Lanza home, officers headed to the house at 36 Yogananda Street. That's a fun street name. (laughs) They evacuated the neighbors and the ATF utilized a robot to clear the first floor of the house, ensuring they weren't walking into a trap. They eventually entered the house to finish their investigation. On the second floor in the bed in the master bedroom, they found the body of 52-year-old Nancy Lanza. She'd been shot four times in the head. Adam had shot and killed his mother before moving his violence to the school. Mm. Oh, geez. Okay, so let's talk about Lanza and how we got here. Okay. Adam Lanza was born on April 22nd, 1992 in New Hampshire. He was the second child of Peter and Nancy Lanza. His older brother, Ryan, was born four years before him. Nancy and Peter Lanza married in 1981, and later, after the boys were born and a little older, the family moved to 36 Yogananda Street in the Sandy Hook area of Newtown, Connecticut, reportedly because the schools were better. Adam was six years old, and Ryan was 10 when they moved in 1998. By this time, Adam had already begun demonstrating social and emotional challenges, as well as difficulties with sensory communication and other developmental delays. Adam was referred to special education services by age two and was seen by the birth to three intervention program in New Hampshire. His social slash emotional delays, repetitive behaviors, and his sensory deficits were present throughout the rest of his life in varying degrees. He didn't speak until he was three years old, which also impacted him in other areas of development. He began receiving speech and therapy services in this early intervention program and continued through fourth grade when he quote unquote met all of his goals. Adam demonstrated difficulty with being sensitive to touch and his parents had to remove all the tags from his shirts and warn people ahead of time not to touch him. This affected him to the point that when he got haircuts, he sat with his head down and responded with one word answers to the barber who was not allowed to use the clippers because of the noise. And this was only noted as a problem when he was an adult. That's, I mean, you can attest to this. Kid, oh, there's plenty of kids who have a hard time with the clippers. Oh, definitely. And there are tons of kids who have a touch of sensory sensitivity, I guess. Like I've got one kid in particular that I'm thinking of that we have to, he has to bring a separate t-shirt when he comes to get his haircut. So we have, he has to change out of it immediately. He doesn't like the cape to be too tight, resulting in hair falling on his neck. But then he freaks out when hair is on his neck. Right. We have to lint roll everything. Like we have to take multiple breaks. It's it's a it's a whole thing. Yeah. And that's like and he's eight. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of getting into, I don't know. I mean, you know, like toddlers are weird about stuff, little kids are weird about stuff. We're talking about Adam still doing this at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, he won't speak to the barber. He won't look at him. <sighs> There's yeah. just now, does that indicate violence in any way. No, we're not saying that if you have a child with sensory issues, there's anything to worry about. Well, but I mean, he he's kind of, one might think that a child would outgrow this at some point, but he's still very, very much sensor. What is, how would you call it? Like 
his sensory issues have not gotten any better, it doesn't seem like. Right. He's still delayed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. By the time they moved to Connecticut, Adam had been diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, which used to be called sensory integration disorder, and it's still not a medical diagnosis. It is considered a controversial condition. People with this disorder are reportedly overly sensitive to touch, sound, smells, light, and tastes. They can also be underreactive and not feel pain or extremes in temperatures the same way that neurotypical children do. They can be exceptionally clumsy and often have weakness or delay in the development of gross and fine motor skills. Since it's not a medical diagnosis, sensory processing disorder is diagnosed or defined typically by occupational therapists when the collection of symptoms present consistently and in a way that negatively impacts the daily life of a person. SPD was even submitted to the American Psychiatric Association to be included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders 5th edition, but was rejected. Since it's not officially a diagnosed disorder, therapies are not covered by insurance, so must be paid for out of pocket. Yeah, and it can also sometimes mask other disorders like OCD, ADHD, anxiety. Yeah. So like, it's one of those things that like, usually you'll find it with some other, some other conditions, but it can also cause some uh, misdiagnosis or, you Mm -hmm. know, because there's a lot of overlap and it can just mask some of those other things. But it's it's interesting to me that it's still not, not recognized. Yeah. When there's... It's not like a medical diagnosis. Yeah, when there's a lot of... I think like a lot of people suffer from it. I don't know. It just... And it seems like there's obviously a sliding scale for it. Like some people can be affected by it slightly and some people can be affected by it mm-hmm. a lot, you know? Right. Adam's parents, specifically his mom, were described as devoted but perhaps misguided. 
They, like many parents of children with disabilities, struggle to figure out how to help their child. Adam was described as quiet from a young age, but the severity of his social awkwardness and disruptive behaviors increased as he got older. In pre-K, Adam engaged in repetitive behaviors and tantrums. He would have instances of smelling things that others didn't. He compulsively washed his hands and had numerous food sensitivities and eating idiosyncrasies. It was later said that he was a vegetarian and then a vegan and was particular about the placement of things on his plate and felt like certain foods shouldn't be on certain dishes. And that doesn't sound like something... I mean, I know a lot of people, even adults, that they don't like their foods to touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they don't like their foods to touch. I know people who have to eat, like, if you've got three things on the plate, they oh, have like to all eat of one all thing one, on all the other one. Thing. Yeah. Like, they can't mix it together. Like, I can, I can get a little bit of everything on one bite. Depends on what it is, but yeah. yeah. Especially if it's like... I mean, I can't imagine what like a chicken pot pie would do to somebody like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm always like, ooh. Because we come from a big long line for whatever reason of if you have mashed potatoes and you have peas, they go together. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's you're like just going to put those shepherd's pie together on the plate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I might even mix them together. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, again, none of this part... Even even if his sensory processing issues got worse as he got older, like once we get into the quote unquote investigation, like however you know you want to call that, like nobody believes that sensory issues are what caused Adam to do what he did. Well, and when we said there were signs, these aren't them. These exactly. These are not the signs. These are just facts of the case. He had sensory processing issues as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's thank you. Yes. Adam attended Sandy Hook Elementary from first to fifth grade, never in the classrooms he attacked. This was between 1998 and 2003. When he first moved to Connecticut, Adam was slightly more social. People remember him participating in playgroups and parties as a young child. He was still somewhat withdrawn, but he was nice. His dad said that he was, quote unquote, just a normal little weird kid. What does that even mean? I don't know how I feel about his dad, honestly. I don't know. I feel like. Well, I don't know enough. I'm just making this is a speculation, I guess, but I just feel like just that sentence all by itself, it is it's dismissive and it's also kind of cruel. Like mm-hmm. it just kind of seems like he's I could not I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, well, if I don't have the perfect kid according to me, then I don't want anything to do with them really. Like it just yeah. seems like he's yeah. Yeah, because labeling your kids matters, your words matter. And children, when they hear you're you're weird, you're, you know, this, you're bad, even even you're bad at math or whatever, they will they will fit into that box, you know? Like they'll do things to make that label true because they believe that that's the label that they're given. Like why would you want to speak anything other than positivity and like uplift your child, you know? Yeah. Give them the best chance you can. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just mean. Yeah. I don't know. At some point during the late nineties, Adam was evaluated for special education at school and it was determined that he qualified as a student with disabilities under the category of speech language impairment. In 2001, Adam's parents separated and the boys stayed with their mother in the family home. Adam would stay there with Nancy for the rest of their lives. 
As he got older, Adam became more of a loner. By fifth grade, he was more reluctant to be social. He was still considered bright, but not very confident. No one could really recall him being bullied despite his parents' memories. During the school year, Adam wrote a story called The Big Book of Granny. In this book, Adam wrote about a main character who had a gun in her cane and shot people, including children. There is not proof or evidence that this writing was turned in to the principal or school psychologist or any action was taken. And I think here is where we get into maybe signs. Mm, Yes, exactly. And is this something that was turned into a teacher? And then not turned into anybody else? Like, Well, that's kind of what it sounds like because I can't imagine that this is a claim from Nancy. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. It had to have been a teacher, but no further action was taken. Right. I would think. I mean, we don't know, but I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fifth and sixth grade, Adam was part of the band and participated in school concerts playing his saxophone. Teachers and students don't remember him being bullied at this time either. I think a lot of people in this case say he was never bullied, but bullied, did you just not see it? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, unfortunately, the way that school children are, if you're different, you're an easy target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, he was he was very small. He had things that made it difficult for him to integrate with the rest of the school kids. And like Mm -hmm. you said, anything that's different is a target. And Mm -hmm. maybe teachers didn't see outright bullying. Maybe they didn't see anything where people were coming over and pushing him down or anything like that. But never being spoken to, never being sat with, that, I guess you don't have to be like, it doesn't have to be like an after-school special version of what a bully looks like to feel bullied at school. Right. I mean, exclusion is could be... could feel like bullying. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I think that a lot of other people say, yeah, I never really remembered him being bullied. And at the same time, it's like, well, he didn't talk to anybody. So what are you expecting? He would have told you that? Exactly. Like this, this is a child who doesn't talk to anybody. He's not going to come home and say, I had a really hard day today. I got yeah. bullied at school. Exactly. He was an average student in sixth grade, achieving A's and B's and turning in his homework consistently. He wasn't a troublemaker and no one, even doctors, thought of him as violent. Again, I have to refer back to that short story that he wrote. I mean, yeah. And that's not all, you know, I mean, later they find all these, you know, there's drawings, there's, Mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of things. At some point, this is where, well, that and her ownership of the guns that she had and access to them. But as far as signs and growing up, that's where I put more fault with Nancy. Mm-hmm. That if your child is drawing things and he has them all in his room, well, you need like to look through. Like you, she should have found a lot of this. We're going to get into that. So you put a pin in that. Just saying. I know, but you're getting ahead of yourself here. He was still quiet in middle school and shy, but he participated in class and listened to the lessons. He was remembered as respectful and cooperative, but didn't seem to have any extreme emotions one way or the other. He wasn't super happy or excited, but similarly wasn't sad or angry. They recalled him as neutral. And I feel like that's a bad sign. I feel like that's a cry for help. Right, yeah, because that reminds me a lot of, you know, how they say like in marriage, how dangerous indifference is. Mm -hmm. because it's a deterioration. And 
if you stop fighting with each other and you stop caring and all this stuff, like you check out. Adam was completely checked out, which developmentally means he's not developing attachments to other people. Mm -hmm. So how is he going to develop empathy? Right, absolutely. He he didn't even have attachments to his own family. So Mm -hmm. no, maybe he wasn't going around doing overtly violent acts. But when you don't have a regard for human life or empathy for other people or attachments to anybody else in the world, you don't think twice to put a gun to your mom's head and shoot her as she sleeps. Exactly. Yeah. I, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. He was considered intelligent, but normally intelligent in seventh grade. There are very differing opinions about Adam's intelligence. Sometimes he was referred to as above average intelligence and other times he was described as below average. And still other times he was just average. In seventh grade, he was more antisocial and barely spoke to anyone. And his classroom participation was non-existent now. His writings were only about battles and war, not unlike other boys, but his were at a whole other level of disturbing. Yeah, we're talking about involving children. We're talking about, it's just, there's so much more gruesome and Mm -hmm. violent and un- inappropriate yeah what he did yeah because you think of you think of little boys young boys you know seventh grade boys they're they're into you know battles and wars and you know all kinds of stuff like mm-hmm. that's that's normal but if you've got a seventh grade boy writing drawing things of uh people being dead people you know being dead Mm-hmm. himself being dead like there's this isn't a this isn't like i'm drawing a war scene and these are just soldiers and you know it's like it's just different mhm around this time in 2005 adam was diagnosed with asperger's syndrome on the autism spectrum but there's no information who actually diagnosed him However, Asperger's, Rett syndrome, pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, and autistic disorder are no longer diagnoses in the DSMV. And now people are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And there are tiered levels of functionality. It's all on one spectrum with no distinction in different names. Kids are usually diagnosed with ASD around the age of two or three, but other children, adolescents, and even adults can be diagnosed with ASD. It's more difficult to diagnose as people get older because many of the symptoms are similar to anxiety, ADHD, OCD, and even other mental illnesses like schizophrenia. Kind of like what we talked about earlier, but you know, a little different. Mm -hmm. When he began his decline around seventh grade, Nancy withdrew Adam from public school and enrolled him in Catholic school, but not for a long time. It was reported that she did this because he was being bullied, but there are numerous reports that he wasn't actually being bullied. But I, again, like we talked about, I... I am more likely to lean towards him being bullied. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't, like, we don't like to make fun of the way people look and anything like that. But again, I'm saying I've been in school. I know how school kids are. Mm -hmm. I don't see him not being bullied. Mm -hmm. I just don't. And it's so unfortunate and there's no reason for it, but we know how kids are. Exactly, yeah. It's just kind of how it goes. And so Sloan wrote this episode and she is a teacher. And she, her specialty is in special education services. And she made a note that I thought was interesting. She said that 
she doesn't really think that his autism spectrum disorder diagnosis is totally correct. She said she thinks he was probably suffering from some other mental illness that caused his symptoms. Because what she said is children with autism don't typically deteriorate the way that Adam did. Like, of course, you can suffer from depression and anxiety, but they don't typically go from being a fairly social child to a completely reclusive adult. And she said one of the classic Asperger's symptoms is that they think everyone is their friend. They have social skills. They're just not appropriately social. They, it's almost like they're too social at times, right? Mm-hmm. Like that not really kind of getting the personal space thing or, you know, like mm-hmm. I thought that too. Like the more I read about him and heard about him and I'm like, but he didn't talk to anybody and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I mean, you know, you guys can draw your own conclusions, but there are things in this case that remind me of the Bruce Blackman case. Mm-hmm. His, of course, Bruce Blackman's onset was so fast, but the fact that Adam became so much more withdrawn and obsessive over what he ended up committing finally. And just, I don't know, I feel like there was some psychosis in there or some other type of mental illness. I don't, I was, I'm worried that if, you know, parents look into this and they're like, oh my God, my child is autistic. Like that is not, Adam Lanza is not what that means. Mm -mm. Like that, that would be very scary, I think, to think about. He, and if he did, you know, if he was autistic in addition to some of these other things, maybe, but he's got some very, very severe mental, like a break with reality or something, psychosis, schizophrenia. I don't know what he's got going on, but it's, and we'll never know, you know, because mm-hmm. he's never been properly diagnosed. But I thought her point there were, you know, it's not like you have a child who struggles socially and then kind of just goes downhill the way that Adam did. I, I don't right. think that that's the the typical presentation. Well, but the thing is, I mean, and we've talked about it before. Sloan even made a note about it when talking about, because she said she's kind of a picky eater and she doesn't like certain things to go with certain other things. Like, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things by themselves. And we've talked about it with other cases too. Yeah. Like uh, just because you have, I don't even know what, um, depression or anxiety, bipolar 2, OCD, ADHD, ADD, whatever. That doesn't mean like you could have all of those things or one of those things and not go on to do what Adam Lanza did. Right. Yeah. I think that was a misunderstanding. Was it in the Russell Williams case when we talked about, you know, that he was very OCD? OCD. Um, Yes. And I mentioned about uh, American Psycho and maybe that was a, maybe that was a, um, irresponsible reference to make. I don't know. Well, no, because you can, you can be a killer and have OCD. Yes. But that doesn't mean that every person with OCD is a killer. Right. It's just the, in that case, in the Russell Williams case, that was, that was a fact. And I think the way that you stated it in this case, that like 
there were like, I don't think we talked about like signs with Russell Williams or anything, but like in this case, you know, there were signs. And then we started talking about this stuff and you're like, these are not the signs. These are just things that are true of his upbringing. Mm -hmm. The, The other things, the violent drawings, the violent stories that he's writing, the intense research into serial killers, the way that he is doing it. Those are the signs. We're not talking about the other stuff. Right, because that would be the same thing as us being like, we had blonde hair and blue eyes. That's the reason why he killed. No, that's not. Well, now we're both fucked. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we just really want to get that point across. That's not what we're we're doing here. 100%. So then he entered high school at Newtown High School and he struggled with the level of noise and confusion during class switches. And that ended up being really upsetting for Adam. Instead of PE, Adam did a journaling assignment. Adam's social skills were almost non-existent by this point, and he was not willing to talk. He didn't demonstrate any violent behaviors, but when he would melt down, it would focus on himself. Sometimes these meltdowns would last for about 15 minutes and require that Nancy be called to come to the school. Yeah, and I think at one point, he actually had to go to the hospital. He -hmm. had such a bad like anxiety attack, and his anxiety was about going to school like those class changes and things like that. Mm-hmm. He, I think he carried a briefcase for a while and kind of used that as a buffer so people didn't touch him in the hallways, you know? Mm-hmm. Just trying to keep distance from people. But he he struggled a lot with that. Yikes. He began a modified school program where he would take some classes at Newtown Elementary and the others through Western Connecticut State University. He was in the special education classes in Newtown High School. Adam wore the same clothing on repeat and would pull his sleeves over his hands to touch things. His advisor reportedly looked out for him and tried to help him. But again, it was reported that Adam wasn't bullied. In 2006, Adam's overall IQ was evaluated and determined that he had an average intelligence with no learning disabilities. However, the testing elements that required him to touch things couldn't be completed. This could have changed the outcome of his overall IQ. Yeah, and it it couldn't be completed because he wouldn't complete it. Like he yeah, exactly. just simply wouldn't touch anything, which surprises me a little bit because I would think that if he has such a strong aversion to touching anything to complete this test, then wouldn't that factor into your score? Well, somehow, wouldn't it be like inconclusive at that point? Yeah, something like, like it seems like it would affect it. You know, you can't, and I don't know that IQ is even the right thing that you, I don't even know if that's something that they need to be worried about. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't know that necessarily uh sensory issues should even factor into your IQ in any way. I'm not saying that, but it just seems strange that they're like, well, we can't do that part, so we'll just in any other test if you don't do a third of it, you lose a third of your grade, like. Yeah, absolutely. It just was kind of strange to me, I guess. Mhm. This was also around the time that Nancy began to notice marked changes to Adam's behavior. Before this, Adam did things like ride his bike and climb trees and mountains. He stopped playing the saxophone and dropped out of the band. He also quit soccer and baseball, saying that he didn't enjoy them. Yeah, so up until this point, I mean, he's not incredibly social. He's having issues. He does get more and more withdrawn as the years go on, but he did actually participate in some things at school. He did participate in some sports. He did go outside and play. Mm -hmm. But in 2006, all that stopped. In October of 2006, Adam was seen at a Yale Child Study Center by a clinical psychiatrist, even though he was absolutely not happy about it. 
a Yale advanced practice registered nurse, said of Adam that he, quote, may not have autism spectrum disorder, but instead crippling anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. Yale also didn't think that Adam was gifted or unique. They felt he had, quote, average cognitive abilities. They also noted that Adam's parents, specifically Nancy, quote, may have had greater than average difficulty with accepting the extent of Adam's disabilities. One source said that Adam, quote, reacted badly to the whole world and didn't want to be part of it. But that is significant because... Mm -hmm. When we look at Columbine, not both of those shooters were necessarily homicidal. Dylan was suicidal. Yes. And Eric was homicidal. Well, yeah, and this would be different. And not that anybody should feel this way, but it would be different if this quote was, he reacted badly to himself and didn't want to be here anymore. Yeah. This is him. What I'm getting from this is... He wanted to take out like the world is the the enemy. Yeah. 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 The world is this evil force and he's got to protect himself, conquer it. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And I'm I'm in no way saying that only one of the Columbine shooters was a killer. They both were killers. But what I'm saying is where Eric has a history of talking about violence against other people, Dylan typically only talked about himself. Mm-hmm. But those two can change. And it's a fine line between the two in some instances. Like having an having a uh, an influence, like a friend who says, let's go shoot up our school. Or in Adam's case, he is got so involved in these mass shooters and researching them and all that, you know? So this is an influence Mm -hmm. that's kind of in his mind now because this is what he's thinking about. This is what he's surrounding himself with. He stops interacting with anybody in the outside world at all. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, there just were signs and you just think how many lives could be different right now had he gotten the help that he needed. And I don't think that Nancy knew what the right answer was. But there's something else that could, you know, you can, if you don't like the way he's getting help in one place, don't stop the help. Yeah. Just keep trying. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Different form of help. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. 
Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. By ninth and 10th grade, Adam was reclusive. He spent most of his time shut in his bedroom playing video games. And by this time, Adam was being, quote, homeschooled. This took away any opportunity for peer interaction and access to school therapist. Now he's even more isolated. During his time in his room, Adam was using his computer skills to hack into a government computer system. He was said to have been able to make it through the second level of security when he tried to breach the third. His computer shut off and authorities showed up at his house. Wow. And Nancy told friends that either the FBI or CIA showed up and she had to convince them that her son was just super intelligent and he was just challenging himself and his skills to see if he could hack into a government computer. <laughs> yep, but the thing is he did try to. Yeah, he, uh-huh. And she said the authorities told her that if he's that smart, he could have a job with them someday. Ugh, like, <laughs> what a cool kid. Yeah, I just, I don't know about that. Like, I'm pretty sure they were like, don't fucking do that. Well, yeah, they would not. not I don't think that the FBI and the CIA have all the time on their hands to be stopping what they're doing to go to their house and be like, hey, your son seems real smart. Mm -hmm. He's a great hacker. He hacked into our system, totally fucking illegal. But you know what? Tell him to send his resume when he graduates. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so despite being diagnosed with sensory processing disorder and autism and autism spectrum disorder and struggling with OCD, anxiety, probably depression, and some other things, Adam refused to take prescription medication and participate in any therapies. It also appears that neither Peter nor Nancy sought out mental health treatment for Adam after 2008. He probably would have refused to go, but it does not seem that there was an attempt. And basically, Nancy kind of just said, I don't like what they're telling me. I think a lot of people told her initially, he's probably going to grow out of a lot of this stuff. Mm. And then he didn't. And she just did not like the way that he was being treated. And so she pulled him out of that particular treatment. Fine. Put him in a different treatment. Like, right. you know, it's just... Yeah, you can't just stop. And Peter was very successful. He was very wealthy. When he and Nancy were married, he was pulling in like half a million dollars a year or something crazy like that. But it kind of seems like he's just MIA. Well, what happened was when he left or like when they got a divorce... He ended up giving half of his salary to Nancy pretty much for the rest of her life because they they both knew that somebody was going to have to care for Adam for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And so she couldn't work. She had to be there with him all the time. So he paid that in like alimony and child support. And he knew that that was necessary and he didn't fight it. He just paid it. And, and he, you know, he's still doing pretty well for himself otherwise. But Nancy, you know, was able to remain in that home. And Newtown, Connecticut is a very affluential or like an affluent community. Mm -hmm. The houses are very large. The lots are very large. It's a very, very wealthy community. And Nancy was able to stay there and she wasn't working. She was taking care of Adam. So I struggle to 
you know, I know that that some people don't get mental health treatment or even, you know, substance abuse treatment, all that kind of stuff, because it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. But Nancy didn't have that problem. So I'm a little confused about why she just stopped if she did. And maybe that was where that Yale study said, or the clinical study said, she's she's not really accepting yeah. how severe his disabilities are. Maybe she was just thinking, if I get him home and away from these stressors that bother him, like the noises of the school and all that kind of stuff, that he'll just be fine. Yeah. I can't imagine what how stressful it was for her. I mean, not to not to dismiss or discredit. I don't know. I Being a parent has got to be hard no matter what, but having a child with challenges like this, I can't imagine. You don't, there's no handbook for it. Right. Yeah. There's no handbook for it. And she essentially had to give up her life as she knew it, you know, mm-hmm. because now she's got this child that um, is struggling and she's got to take care of him. And he certainly wasn't appreciative of it. Mm-mm. He... And he didn't treat her very well. He never talked to her. You know, it's just like, it's all this stuff. But after, you know, after his older brother moved out, I guess went to college, moved out, whatever. And then Peter started dating again. And then he got married. Adam completely cut ties with him. Would no longer speak to him at all. Oh, wow. So, and he wouldn't talk to his older brother either. So mm-hmm. towards the end, it, from what I understand, it was Adam's choice to halt communication with them. And Peter would still try to keep up with Adam through Nancy, but he would have nothing to do with him. Nancy had books on autism in the house and mentioned to friends that Adam was unable to make eye contact. He had a sensitivity to light and couldn't stand to be touched, but had not confided in friends that Adam had this ASD diagnosis until the last couple of years. Adam did also have multiple perseverative behaviors he engaged in daily or multiple times daily, like hand washing. But he also changed his clothes multiple times a day, creating a great deal of laundry for Nancy. And again, he had this like that self-made uniform, you know? He wore the Mm -hmm. same clothes all the time. But I guess he had like a million of them (laughs) because he would just change many times a day. Steve Jobs, yeah. Yeah, and it was just like always the same outfit, but just multiple, yeah. But I mean, okay, so Nancy's doing a ton of laundry. Well, that's not a problem for Adam. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't have to do it. Yeah. Nancy took care of Adam's every need and want. She did his laundry. She cooked his food. She paid for his video games. She bought him a car. She did whatever it was that he wanted, gave him whatever it was that he needed. Adam only briefly had a job one summer fixing computers, but otherwise he never held down a job. Nancy did his shopping. She did chores but she was never allowed in his room. That's... Who's running that house? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I dare my kids to be like, you can't come in my room. Like, bitch, I will take that door off the hinges. Exactly. (laughs) No, I'm definitely going to go in your... like, and And because it's important, it's important to give children their own privacy too. But again, like we talked about, there's so many things she should have found could have found, you know? Mm-hmm. Nancy apparently once asked Adam if he'd be sad if something ever happened to her, and he said, no. I cannot believe that. Okay. Nancy and Peter's divorce became official in 2009, 
And around this time, Adam went off the grid. He dropped out of his classes at Western Connecticut University and was pretty much only at home. He'd never been interested in social media and he had a cell phone that he didn't use. I think he actually had two, but he didn't use either of them. It always just went to voicemail. He had an email address that was really the only way he communicated with family and even that was sporadic. When the search warrant was executed after his rampage, it would be discovered that Adam had thousands of dollars in video games, computers, and weapons. And like we said, Adam's brother Ryan had moved away after college and had become estranged from Adam and he didn't see Ryan in the years before the Sandy Hook shooting. So he didn't see Peter or Ryan for a couple of years before that. Nancy had some pretty, I don't know, she had some pretty expensive taste. She apparently had like all of her clothes custom made by a woman in Newtown. And she had season tickets to the Boston Red Sox and attended a lot of the games. And her email address also ended in 1918 for the 1918 World Championship, the Sox won. Wow, pretty dedicated. Yeah. But, you know, like we said, she didn't work. Now, I remember when this first happened and I thought that his mom was a teacher at Sandy Hook because that's what was reported. Mm -hmm. But she was not. She'd never worked at Sandy Hook Elementary. So, you know, if people are trying to use that as a connection, why did he go there? It doesn't hold up. But Nancy did love guns and reportedly said that she, quote, loved the feeling and power of a gun in her hand. And all the weapons that Adam used in the shooting were legally purchased and they were registered to Nancy. She was described as a gun nut and a little paranoid. A neighbor told investigators that she used to have dinner parties at her house and she would just put the invitations in the mailboxes of the neighbors instead of fucking mailing them because it's like, hey, Nancy, you live right the fuck here. I'm just going to put it in your mailbox. (laughs) And uh, Nancy never responded to the invitations. And when asked, Nancy said, She didn't respond, quote, because there was no return address on the envelope and Nancy thought there was anthrax in it. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I don't know about that. Also, I mean, Nancy would take Adam to the shooting range all the time and that seemed to be the only way that they connected with each other. I think it's the only time he would pay any attention to her whatsoever. They would go shooting together all the time and after he finally got his driver's license, he would go to the shooting range by himself sometimes. But in addition to Nancy just really being into guns, it also happened to be something that her son was into. And it was the only thing that they really shared. That's a really sad bond considering what happened, you know? Yeah, exactly. But Nancy was very social and she loved to travel She, in the year or so leading up to the shooting, she started leaving Adam at home by himself and she started going on trips. And, you know, she would get stuff ready for him before she would leave. But if he ran out of food, he cooked something. I mean, he's got, he's got some, some issues, but he's not a completely helpless person. Yeah. He has independent qualities that he could, you know, skills that he could do it. Yeah. He can fix himself a sandwich. So I guarantee that he can do laundry. I I would think he could. I bet he could. Mm-hmm. He used to hike and write. He liked poetry and video games. But he started getting super interested in mass shootings and serial killers, like we said, specifically Columbine. On his computer, he had spreadsheets with serial killers and mass murderers with their information. And Sloan said, um, we also kind of have this. And we do. 
Yes. But it's they're, different. They're, yes. And I don't know if that's something that we just have to tell ourselves or what. <laughs> uh, we have multiple, I think the three of us combined have every serial killer or, you know, I have a big book of serial killers, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. But I mean, the the way that he's, he's ranking people by how many kills they have, which in his mind is positive. You yes, know? exactly. So, cool. yeah. Adam did at one point want to go into the military. I believe he wanted to be a Marine. Yeah. What do we talk about? Yeah. And that's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a Marine or be in the military, but you have to think about why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I listened to the True Crime Garage episodes on this case too. And I believe that they said that at some point, maybe in the year or so leading up to the shooting, that Nancy had to sit down and tell Adam you're never going to be able to be a Marine because of all these issues that you have. Like, it's just not going to happen for you. I wonder if that... Go ahead. I've I've got some thoughts. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, you don't want... You don't want him to be living this like, wow, in a couple months, I'm going to enlist in the military and this is a goal I want to have. You don't want his heart broken when he finds out he can't do it. But at the same time, you don't want to ridicule him and make him feel worthless and yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, cause my thought is, was she saying this to him as like, this is a hard reality that you're going to have to face. And I'm so sorry to tell you this, but let's, let's get you help so we can achieve this goal. Or was it like, do you really think you're ever going to be able to do this? Look at all of the issues you have. I think it was a combination of the two. I think it was like, I think, I think she genuinely like didn't want him to get hurt when he wasn't going to be able to be accepted. Right. But I don't think that was followed up with, like, I think it was the hard reality. But then, you know, like you said, what can we do to work toward that? Here are some things that, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to be able to handle or overcome Mm -hmm. or whatever to be able to make that a reality. We can do this. But you got to think, I mean, again, I'm not at all taking up for her, but I, I have to look at it from both sides and think like there had to have been a lot of resentment. But again, I'm we are both very big advocates of therapy. She should have been in therapy as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a lot. That's mm-hmm. just it's a lot all the way around. So around this time too, Adam stops communicating with his mother verbally. And he begins only speaking to his mother through email, who lives in the same home as him. He will only talk to her through email. He should have faxed her. That would have been better. Well, sure. I mean, everybody needs a fax every once in a while. She didn't even have a fax. <laughs> so before this, it was reported that Adam at least left the house on the weekends when he would go to the movie theater because they had an arcade there and they had the big DDR game, Dance Dance oh, Revolution. Oh, gosh. This guy is like, I know exactly this kid. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He would go up there and play DDR for hours and hours, like four to 10 hours. Exercise. That exactly. game is hard. It's very hard. Yeah, at, at least he's getting out and he's doing something. But, you know, again, all of that stopped. He, I mean, in the three months leading up to the shootings, he didn't, I don't know that he left the basement. Okay, it's not, I know that, movies draw from real life, but it reminds me a lot of the Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That like, yeah, because that's, 
the Amityville horror draws a lot on the uh, DeFeo yeah. case, which is similar to the Bruce Blackman case. It's like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's this isolation. It's this, yeah, there's a lot it's going on. Complete distance from everything else, mm-hmm. including reality. Yes, yes. Yeah. And at this point, so Adam's dad has remarried. At this point, Nancy starts talking about moving away. And this was a big part of what what made the whole Bruce Blackman thing click in my brain because she said she was either going to move with Adam, of course, she's not going to leave him, but either to Washington State or North Carolina. And she said that they would buy an RV that they could live in while the house was up for sale and then use that to drive to their new home wherever they lived. She said this would ensure that Adam didn't have to spend any time in a hotel. He'd fully refused to do that before when Hurricane Sandy knocked out their power for an extended time. So he just stayed in the house without power. He would not go to a hotel. So she's like, there's no way he's going to do it two or three times on our way, you know, on a long drive. So we're going to have to buy an RV. She told her friend that initially she talked to Adam about this and said, which one do you want? Do you want Washington or do you want North Carolina? And he said, Washington. And he seemed okay with it at first, like not super upset about it. And she said they were going to have him attend a special school in Washington. And it just seemed like he was for it. But what I wonder is, because in, in the Bruce Blackman case, at one point, he towards the end there, he goes to that other school, that mill, mill work school or whatever it was that he was supposed to go to that his dad had enrolled him in and, Mm -hmm. you know, it was time for him to go. And his psychologist said, absolutely not. Do not let him go. Because if he has a change in scenery, even the anxiety of the change in scenery can completely set this off, you know? Like whatever progress we're making, we're going to go backwards. He can't handle that right now, right? He's in such a fragile state that a change like that could completely crumble him. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that set something into motion for him. Well, yeah, it's amazing to me. Like something that it would be probably a traumatic or a stressful situation for anybody else is such a big moment where it just creates this complete break with reality or mm-hmm. this complete, um, I don't know. I can't even think of anything else to say about it, but yeah. Yeah, I just wonder. I mean, again, these are things that we're never going to know, but it just kind of, that's a big life change. Adam Mm -hmm. is now very attached to this home in particular. Well, and to his routine there. I mean, he does. Yeah. 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 So I wonder if that set something, caused caused that like final break, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. I'd be surprised, yeah. But that's part one, dudes. Part two, we're going to go over the the planning, kind of like what they found as they went through the search warrants and things like that. Um, and we're also going to discuss each victim and uh, bring your Kleenex yes. or tissues or whatever. Because it's going to yes. be a rough one. But um, yeah, if you want to get part two immediately, go on ahead and join the Patreon. It's there waiting for you. Otherwise, uh, we'll catch you next week. Yes, thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, before we go, we have some new patrons to thank. 
Yay. Thank you so much to Stacy. Thank you to Aaron, Bree Bree, Annie Mitchell, Ashley Lynn, Tiffany Walfert, Bree Peterson, Carly Cox, Kayla Nicole, Gemma Scarman, Isabella Ziegler, Chelsea Jane Hecker, V Arrow, Shanda Shepard, Wendy Jackson, Stacy Foxy, Ooh. Ooh. Tavana Bolding, Kimberly Taylor, Paige Alexi, Kimberly Murtog, Beth Turner, Lupita Ramirez, Courtney McCutcheon, Rebecca Hatcher, Cassie Norrish, Remington Alexis Grass, Sarah M, Mary Payton, Heather Allison Smith, Tessa Messias, Katie Barney, Don Hewitt, Cassandra Perez, Caitlin Milner, Ariel Dubois, Lydia, Kara T, Danielle Graham, Casey Duncan, Brooke Brooks, Aaron Martin, Jessica Johnson, Bonnie, Jessica Rorschach, Aiden C, Jennifer Brooks, Jocelyn, Oksana Mel- Mallet, Amy Basil, Kelly Randerson, Valeria Zuniga. Oh my God, hey girl, thanks. Thank you so much. We appreciate you guys so much. Love you. Love you, bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.